My name's John, and this is Simon hey. We've worked as content creators for some time And wanted to share delicious knowledge from the cookie jar So if you got some time, you're welcome to the Nav Bar Welcome to the Nav Bar A podcast where we help you nav, irrigate the web And raise the bar of your content creation My name is John Myers, I'm a developer advocate from Superbase And I'm Simon Vrashliotis, a designer, developer, content creator from Sydney, Australia in this episode, we're going to talk about Superbase. And by that, I mean John is going to talk about Superbase. Uh, I hear that he knows quite a thing, a thing or two about Superbase. And I'm going to ask lots of questions because I've used it a little bit, but definitely not proficient with it. So, uh, John, firstly, what is Superbase? Well, Simon, that is a very good question. And it is actually an excellent time to ask that kind of question and learn about Superbase because V2 of the JS library uh, dropped just yesterday. This was completely unintentional. We've been meaning to do this episode for a while, but it turns out it's a really good time to do this episode. Nice. Uh, So, for people that are unfamiliar, Superbase is basically a collection of open source tools that wrap around a Postgres database. So, a Postgres database is at the core. And then the idea of Superbase is how can we wrap all of these tools around Postgres uh, to make it even more accessible, even more approachable, and kind of just like bring out all of the cool stuff that Postgres already does. So some of those tools that we offer within Superbase are obviously database hosting. So we have a hosted cloud service. Um, We handle auth for you, um, or you can opt into using the auth part. We have file storage, so if you need to store not just rows in a database, but you need to store files like images, um, videos, audio files, you want to start your own podcast, for example, um, then we offer file storage. Uh, We also have, um, because all of these bits are tied in together, you can then subscribe to real-time events like insert, update, or delete, um, and get just what that user should see in terms of of things that are changing in the database. And then, more recently, uh, we also launched edge functions, um, which is a way to uh, run serverless functions at the edge, um, which wraps around Dino deploy. Um, so we'll talk about each of those pieces individually. Um, but the cool thing is that everything is integrated. And so uh, because there is that auth piece and it's also the database, that means that you can like see who the user is uh, when you're making a query to the database. So mm-hmm. uh, by having everything integrated, it means that everything can kind of be more simplified, a lot more convenient um, when you're actually trying to query data. I'm going to stop you for a quick second. It sounds to me that it's pretty much everything you may need. Uh, like I'm a front-end developer primarily. And whenever I reach to having a back-end system, that's where my, my skill set fizzles out. And also I'm like, ah, oh, overwhelmed. Like, what do I need? It feels like what I need usually is a place to store data and to store images or files and also to be able to authenticate to make sure this person can access this file, but not this file. And it sounds like Superbase brings all these parts and kind of host and organize it for you so you can be that front-end dev that just sets that up and then works on the front-end and display stuff and the the, the CRUD operations like from the, the application user experience perspective and then it takes care of all the, the back-end stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. So it is a back-end as a service service um, that allows you to yeah really easily create a backend um, and then have that completely separate from your front end. Um, so you can have an entirely like serverless Jamstack application um, that is all running on serverless functions and not maintaining anything yourself um, and using Superbase as that backend piece, handling all of your auth, 
database stuff, file storage stuff. Um, yeah, that's Sweet. that's exactly what it is. Um, and so if you, uh, I'm not sure if it's still the tagline on the, I don't think it's the tagline on the website at the moment, but it was it was sort of launched as um, the open source alternative to Firebase. So if you've, if you've ever used Firebase, um, it has an awesome developer experience. Like it's just so easy to get started. Um, and so that was kind of the, uh, I guess the inspiration for Superbase was like, how can you build something that is that um, friendly a developer experience, um, but using a relational database um, in the back end instead of a file-based document database. Yeah, I was going to say, I've used Firebase a little bit and it's it's definitely not Postgres. <laughs> it's, it's just like a series of JSON objects and you can just store whatever you need, which is nice and flexible, but it, it sounds like Superbase has a very different relational database approach to it. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, relational databases are tried and true uh, for scalability. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of the focus was to build a super, super scalable version of something as awesome as Firebase. Um, and so with Superbase, you can either use the hosted service or you can host it anywhere yourself, anywhere that runs a Postgres database. Um, and because it is open source, it is portable. And so um, the source code is always going to be there, even if the company happened to fold and I lost my job and everyone else lost their jobs and the project went away. Uh, that open source project is still there and all of the source code is still there. Um, and so you can, yeah, you can host it anywhere yourself. You don't have that reliance on um, Superbase being successful. Uh, and you could even take on a fork of your own version of Superbase and build something even cooler because, yeah, the entire project is open source. So talking about each of those bits individually, the database, as I mentioned, is Postgres. And the awesome thing about this is that rather than just kind of exposing a couple of APIs to give you access to reading and writing data in the database, we give you direct access to the Postgres database itself. Um, so you can use something like Prisma if you would like to, to connect to the database and, and manage your database that way. Um, or you could just, uh, you know, host the database and use any ORM tool, SQLize or anything like that. Um, and yeah, and so we give you direct access to the underlying database, which means that you have access to things like Postgres functions and triggers, uh, which if you're not familiar, Postgres functions allow you to, to write uh, functions within the database yourself. And then triggers allow you to uh, basically subscribe to particular events like insert, update or delete. Um, and then you can um, call a Postgres function when any of those things happen. So triggers and functions give you the ability to kind of like automate processes uh, in your backend. Have you got any experience with that, Simon? Kinda, but not with Postgres. And actually, that that's really interesting because I I always assumed that was like something Superbase offered on top of the database. And the I realize now and recently that it's kind of part of what Postgres um, offers. Like there's all that stuff, and I, that's that's something else. I imagine you're going to talk about soon is this like uh, row level access control and security. Uh, I I take the parallel. We actually don't work. Uh, uh, don't know how Keystone JS that we're building at ThinkMill is implemented but I've always assumed that there's access control for every field, what user can access, edit, read, whatever field like granularly to the, the smallest detail. And I, I always thought that's an interface that sets all that and then gives access to the database. But I, I like that. Uh, it seems like Postgres actually has that functionality built in and you can leverage that instead of implementing all of this and then just sending what you're allowed to to the database. Am I am I tripping or is that right? You are, absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's part of 
under that auth piece. And so the next part uh, is auth, which covers both uh, authentication and authorization. So um, if you're not sure of the difference there, authentication is more about like your user actually signing in. So giving their like username and password. Um, and then authorization is what are they actually allowed to see? So writing those access rules. Yeah. Um, so authentication or what's referred to sometimes as auth n. Um, with Superbase, there's a whole bunch of options there. You can either do email and password, um, and then that information is just stored in your Superbase database. Uh, you can do passwordless uh, sign-in with magic links. Um, so that's where the user just provides their email, and then they get emailed a link uh, which has a magic uh, like URL in it. And when they click that, it authenticates and signs them in, so they don't need to remember yet another password. Uh, and another option for not remembering yet another password is the third-party authentication. So you can sign in with like GitHub or Google or Facebook or any of those um, third-party providers. So that's the authentication piece. The other piece is AuthZ or authorization, um, which I guess isn't AuthZ in Australia, is it? Authorization is probably an S, an S instead <laughs> of a Z. Oh, controversy, <laughs> scandal. All right, I'm going to call it AuthS from now on and confuse everybody. <laughs> Uh, but yes, the authorization piece, uh, as Simon was talking about a moment ago, um, you can do this in any way that you would like, but uh, because we have Postgres there, we have the the power of Postgres. And so um, the way, one of the ways that you can do authorization within your Postgres database is using something called row-level security. And so this is where you enable row-level security for each of your tables in your database. Um, and this will basically block all uh, requests by default. And so mm -hmm. you won't be able to read or write anything in your database. And then the the way that you enable access to each of those tables. So let's say that you want a user to be able to uh, like modify their own profile or something like that. Um, then you would write a um, an access policy that says that a user is allowed to edit their own table. Um, yep. And so, yeah, this is again, something that's already baked into Postgres, um, but we can kind of wrap these nice convenience tools around it to expose um, a really nice interface for how you can write a policy. So it's not as overwhelming for people people who aren't uh, database administrators. Um, and so the way that you can think about this is it's basically uh, like appending a where clause onto the end of any query that you're making. So if you write a query in the database that says uh, like a user is only allowed to see their profile, it means anytime that you're trying to write um, a query to select a user's profile from the, uh, from the front end, it's automatically appending on this where clause to say um, like select star from the profiles table and then it depends on where the user is the signed in user um and so uh yes simon what's your question you can't see but i'm putting my hand up like i realize we keep talking over each other because of the small latency so i thought if i have a question i put my hand up and i can slide, polite. <laughs> transition smoothly the next time so um yeah i love that we what you just explained the difference between oath n and oath s <laughs> so <laughs> Authentication and authorization, and uh, someone told me once, is authentication is who you are, and authorization is what you can do. It, in a, in a nutshell, like it's the difference between like, hey, who are we dealing with, and then what can they have access to? I really like this, but I have a question with Superbase from my front end approach. You mentioned like the the magic link that you receive by email, and then it authenticates you. But I I imagine in that URL it gives you some sort of like token, and then you do you do like as a front end dev when I use one of the auth anti 
authentication approaches? Do I need to store something in a cookie and then pass it with every subsequent request? Like there's still some work to do on the front end. It's not like it's going to magically make my front end uh, the user logged in with the avatar on the top right. What sort of work do I have to do? And what's the, the thing that Superbase gives me to do that, if that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, and so that is what is really cool about Superbase handling that whole process is that if you are signing in uh, using the Superbase JS client um, and it will automatically store all of that access token stuff for you. So whether you're using email and password or passwordless with magic links or uh, third party auth with GitHub or Google or Facebook or whatever, uh, all of those will automatically um, store an access token for you. And then any uh, future requests that you make to Superbase, like if you want to get all of your to-dos for your to-do list, for example, um, it will automatically know who that user is and pass that information along to Superbase. Okay, so it, it adds this like bearer token or whatever that is in the authorization authorization headers in the request. It does it for you without you having to think about it. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's amazing because that's where I always get stuck. Like I was using Remix and I was trying to do an auth flow and you have to like do this session storage, create cookie and stuff and pass it to the headers. And I, I always, always, I know how it works, but I always end up getting confused. Am I doing it the right way? And uh, like if, if that was handling it in the client, like the JS client without doing anything, kind of is already pretty Kind good. of, asterisk. <laughs> All right. So the... <laughs> The more the, the longer answer is um, anything that you're doing uh, like on the actual client side, so in the browser, uh, all of that will be taken care of for you. So uh, anything uh, where you're writing like um, a function, like something in use effect or whatever in React, uh, something that's being triggered in the browser itself. Mm -hmm. The bit that gets confusing in the asterisk is that uh, anything server side needs to have a cookie or needs to have a little bit more plumbing done for you. Um, and so uh, this is a good time to talk about the auth helpers project that the DevRel team have been working on with some other awesome people from the community. Um, and so basically we have been building um, helper functions that that help you with exactly that, the experience that you had trying to, um, yeah, trying to select stuff on the server side. So in, some, in Remix, that would be something like a loader or an action. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're trying to do something on the server side, uh, you need to, yeah, basically create a cookie that can be sent across with each of those requests. Because by default, uh, Superbase stores all of that information in local storage and that isn't available server side. So when you're uh, in Remix, for example, if you're making a request for a particular page, uh, that's all happening server side before the browser has a chance to actually attach that access token. Um, so the auth helpers of which there are a stable release uh, for Next.js and also SvelteKit. And once I wrap up recording this podcast, we'll jump back into building the Remix versions of them. Uh, and so they're, yeah, they're will be uh, those three uh, SvelteKit, Remix, and Next.js auth helpers that will basically take care of that server-side piece for you. Um, but currently, anything client-side, you don't need to do anything else. You just sign in. That access token is automatically handled for you and passed across to every request that you make. It's just when you introduce a server-side piece that you need yes. to do a little bit more work. So I recommend you check out the auth helpers package on the Superbase community repo, um, which we will uh, add a link in the description of this podcast. Is that what you do? You add links in descriptions, show notes, something. Uh, there will be a link to that project. There may, there might be a link to that project. There might be. We promise. <laughs> we promised a lot of things in the show notes. <laughs>
<laughs> I think I think when the website's out and it pulls the data from our actually show notes, that's when we're going to deliver on that promise. Yeah. So the next piece is file storage. So once you get beyond uh, just rows in a database, once you need to store more than like a text or a Boolean or, um, you know, th those kinds of primitive data types, once you need to store something like an audio file or a video or um, an image or something like that. So a good example of this is if you are building a profile for a user, uh, having like an avatar image, like you mentioned before, um, if you were building your own uh, your own authentication with just email and password, you might want to store the user's avatar in the database. And so for that, uh, if you try to do that with just <laughs> like a, a relational database, it starts getting very, very complicated. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we uh, give you file storage. It's actually, a, it wraps around S3. So if you're familiar with like what S3 can do, um, it can basically do all of that as well. Um, and so S3 is, is basically like a, you know, just a Google Drive folder uh, where you can throw images or anything that your application needs, any files that your application needs. Um, and then again, because um, it's integrated into this whole um, environment uh, with Superbase, you, the way that you write access policies for S3 um, or the way that you write access policies for your storage buckets is by using row-level security policies. So the you, you write access policies in exactly the same way, regardless of whether you're talking about like text-based data in rows in a database or whether you're talking about files um, within a storage bucket. That's great. Um, and that's that definitely beats logging in the Amazon console and going to S3. And then like, I, I remember doing static site, the first few static sites I did, I, I just hosted it on an S3 bucket and just going there and make sure like he has set public world. Like I don't, I don't even remember, but it's really confusing to just knowing that your file is has the correct access, right? Even with, for just read-only sites, that's like just want people to see it and that's it. I just remember getting it wrong a couple of times. So it's really nice that you have the within the Supervase um, interface and ecosystem, you can handle that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. We're the ones that painfully log into the Amazon <laughs> console. <laughs> Not <Someone's>, you. <laughs> someone between the, the computer and the other side is like doing all yeah. the manual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a service in itself. <laughs> if yes. you want to use Supervase for no other reason, use it so that you can access S3 without having to log into the AWS console. Um, so the next piece is real time. So this is actually where Superbase started. So the Superbase project um, was built around just creating an Elixir server that can pump out database changes over WebSockets. So essentially a way to to have a live connection to uh, to a Postgres database um, and be able to just know anytime anything changes. So anytime there's a new insert uh, or a row has been updated or a row has been ins inserted, did I say that, or deleted, um, anything that's changing in the database, uh, you can subscribe to those changes and have a live WebSocket connection that's updating you anytime anything changes. Um, so that's where like the Superbase project started was just around solving that one problem. Um, and then the next iteration was looking at auth and, and slowly building on all of those other pieces. Okay. I see when you say that, I see the, the parallel to Firebase because Firebase like amazing feature was like everything happens in real time. You can build like a chat app without thinking about WebSockets or anything. It's just... It just pops on your screen. So like, I can see the parallel now. The real-time as a service is another <laughs> service worth on its own, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, you can have an entirely Jamstack, like, serverless app and not be maintaining any servers yourself, um, you know, building with Astro or building with Remix or whatever. Um, but then you can have this live WebSocket connection to your Superbase instance um, and get notified anytime anything changes. So that was probably one of the, the game-changing uh, features for me. And the thing that got me most excited was, like, you know, I was,
was building this complex relational database behind the scenes for my back end. But then any table that I wanted to know about changes for, I just subscribed to those changes. Um, so yeah, super. Is it like a, a checkbox on the specific? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's literally wow. a checkbox that says uh, turn on real time. And then uh, in your, yeah, in your front end code, you just basically um, pass a function to say what you want to be able to do, like a callback function um, to, yeah, so that you can handle it. Every time that, that thing changes, it, it runs some code. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And then Superbase will automatically call that function and give you the new thing that has changed. Mm. Um, so within real time, there are there are a couple of different pieces. So um, it, it started off as just that that database uh, layer, which is what what I was just explaining, where you're um, you're basically subscribing to changes within the database itself, um, but you're waiting for a row to be inserted or changed or something to happen in the database. And then that goes out through uh, an Elixir server and down a WebSocket to your application. Um, and so we realized that that's, that's really, really awesome for, um, for real-time apps and things like chat apps, stuff like that. Um, but if you want to do things like, um, you know, building collaboration tools like, uh, you know, Google Drive, Google Docs or something like that, or Figma. Multi-cursor, multiplayer thing, yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah, like multiplayer games or um, a, a video chat app like we're using for, for this podcast. Yep. We're using Ecamm Live. If you want to build something like that, it would take a very... <laughs> A very long time to um, to to basically subscribe to every single frame that's being written to the database. Obviously, there would be quite a bit more latency than what we're experiencing here. Um, and so, more recently, with the launch of V2 yesterday, um, we have now launched these two new features called Broadcasts and Presence. So, Broadcast is the ability to uh, basically broadcast from you to anyone who's listening um, any changes. And so, this is more... Uh, more similar to something like WebRTC, where it's a client sending messages directly to another client. So one mm -hmm. client says, I care about what this client is doing. So if it was a video chat app or something like that, I care about the, the video stream coming from this particular peer. Um, and then that information can be sent directly between those, those peers rather than needing to go through a database and write a row to the database table and then pump that out over a WebSocket. So you can have a direct connection to uh, basically from my browser to your browser. Um, and then presence is similar. Um, so if you think about uh, those little circles in uh, like in something like Figma, where you can see that someone is editing something, um, that yeah, we've built some tooling around presence so that you can um, build similar functionality into your apps. Um, another piece which isn't doesn't really sit under real time, but still gives you those. Um, the ability to subscribe to change events are database webhooks. Um, and so this is a way that you can, um, similar to Postgres triggers, which I mentioned earlier, you can subscribe to any events that are happening in your database, and then that can call a webhook. So any kind of URL that's out there on the internet. Um, so a good example of what you might want to do there is like anytime, like if you're building a SaaS app, for example, anytime a new user signs into your application, you might want to go and tell Stripe to create a customer Uh, in their system um, so that you'll be able to charge their card and things like that. So, uh, yeah, so you've got all of this, like automation within the database itself where certain things can happen based on triggers within your database. Uh, you've got this real-time thing where you can subscribe to changes and then update the UI. And then you have uh, database webhooks where you can go and like synchronize other things out there in the world. So there are all these different options uh, for how you can kind of um, synchronize everything or automate everything uh, just based on things changing in the database. That is great. So all of this is part of the V2 launch or like, like broadcast presence webhooks 
books? Is that the, the three new additions that literally just happened this week or very recently? Uh, the database real-time and database webhooks were already there, um, but broadcasts and presence are the new yep. two pieces that have uh, that have just launched. Yeah. So I'm very excited to see what people are going to build with that. So would you use presence to, like what you mentioned with Figma, it kind of tracks the cursor wh where someone's mouse is, or like, I don't know if it's the mouse in Figma or just like the cropping of the of what they have on their screen. Like, is that what present you kind of listen to the information of like the coordinates where that person is and it just you just latch onto it and continue feeding the position yeah exactly and that's where like those that's where you would use those two pieces over something like the database real time if you were to like if you're moving a cursor across the screen you have to store every position exactly like <laughs> the xy location was here and then it 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 was here um yeah not only would that be very slow to write all of that data to the database like every 10 milliseconds or something as they're moving their, their cursor. But it's also information that doesn't matter once it's happened. Like it only matters to someone. Yeah, you don't need to store that and remember it unless you want to do a replay of the, the last five minutes of inter Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so by being able to send that information directly browser to browser, um, yeah, it makes it much faster. And it's, it's definitely designed for those kinds of use cases where you mm -hmm. have information that matters if you're there at the time. Only the right moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But wouldn't make sense to, to watch later. Um, yeah. Imagine if every single user of Figma's mouse position, every <laughs> single time they move their mouse for every single user. It's all stored in the database. Was stored in the database. Uh, I think, yeah, we would uh, run out of carbon credits very quickly. So the next piece um, is edge functions. And so this was something that is um, quite a recent addition to Superbase because we had all of those other ways to kind of run functions. Like we had um, the we had functions that exist within Postgres, so Postgres functions that are baked into the database. And then we had database webhooks allowing you to basically go out to any other serverless function. Like you could have a Lambda running somewhere, you could have a Next.js API route or um, a Remix action or something like that. Um, we had these different ways to to do um, to to run functions, and so we wanted our like functions offering to make sense. We wanted a reason to uh, to to you know to work on that um, and and build it into Superbase itself. Um, and so edge functions was the perfect use case for that. Um, so if you haven't listened to our previous episode on everything about the edge, or what is the edge, or something like that, uh, I highly recommend you go and check that out, uh, where we go through all about what the edge is and um, and how it works. Uh, and so, yeah, the Superbase Edge functions are very similar to something like Cloudflare Workers. Um, they wrap around Dino Deploy, which is a um, an Edge function service written by Dino. Um, and but because it's inside that um, Superbase environment, you get all of that convenience of being able to see like who the signed in user is, or having uh, environment variables already set for you to be able to um, quickly create a Superbase client and query the database or anything like that. Mr. John Myers have from Superbase base have been telling me a lot of really really cool things about Superbase. I, I can I imagine I can build almost anything with the different pieces that you um, brought together in that discussion already. Uh, for you who knows it inside out, I believe, what do you think is the coolest thing about all of Superbase? I think the coolest thing is as I mentioned like everything being integrated into this one environment. So because Superbase is handling that auth piece, it basically gives everything else superpowers. So the Postgres functions can know who the signed in 
end user is. Um, this makes uh, like writing Postgres functions a lot easier, um, but also writing things like RLS policies. Um, I've had I've written an RLS policy once and then never again uh, back before Superbase. And yeah, it's it's very hard to to do simple things like find out who the signed in user is. But because Superbase kind of pipes that information through, um, you writing access policies a lot makes a lot more sense because you know the the main access policy that you'd probably want to write is like a user can only access their stuff and so if you don't know who that user is it's hard to write that that rls policy which means that you just go and use something else for for author for uh authorization because it's just too hard um and so that was a real um like change of mindset for me when i when not even before i started working at superbase when i just started using superbase as a tool was just how easy it is to write things like postgres functions and rls policies simply because that auth piece is there that user yeah you get this shared knowledge of things who who's we already know who's dead so we don't need to go and fetch the id and then try to guess who that person is and yeah yeah that's right and so um yeah this this one integrated environment is just really cool and that that same idea of like files are treated the same way as rows in the database and so because everything is all in this one environment um you don't need to like relearn a whole process for how to deal with files versus how to deal with rows in a database all of those like concepts are transferable between all of those different things um and so even though you are actually like behind the scenes we're translating those rls policies into uh access policies on an s3 bucket you don't need to think about that you don't need to understand how amazon does uh their access policies because everything is just consistent with the way that you've already learned how to do it in superbase um which is really cool and also files have relationships to other things and so because there are rls policies that means that there probably needs to be some database component like rows in a database um, that are stored for every file that you upload. And that is exactly the case. Like um, you have this other table that's managed for you by Superbase, um, which stores all of this extra meta information um, about those files that are in your S3 bucket. The other cool thing is that just like real time is awesome. It just like, it makes everything uh, so much more alive, um, like between the database real time stuff, the broadcasts and presence stuff, um, database webhooks, and then Postgres triggers, there isn't really much happening in your database that you can't subscribe to and immediately update the UI or immediately update some other third-party service. Um, and so it just, yeah, it just makes your application this like living thing or your backend, this kind of living automated thing. Uh, it is super cool. So what do you think, Simon? Would you use it? Man, I definitely want to try it again and use it properly after all you told me. So I've I've tried Superbase a while ago after finding a, a video of that cool guy called John Myers with the Aussie accent, and I thought, oh, gotta give it a try. Uh, my mistake, I think, is I was I was learning Prisma, and uh, when I discovered Superbase, I think it was in the context of Remix, maybe before, uh, and I immediately wanted to use Superbase with Prisma, which kind of works, and there's that thing. But then I had to 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 figure out that thing called pool subscription. Like, like the there's that thing about connection pooling yeah yeah collection pooling and I just went down this rabbit hole that had nothing to do really with Superbase itself although it's capable of doing that and then I was hellbent of using because I discovered Prisma and I was like this is the best way to ask the database stuff I love the ORM syntax and then Superbase has its own very very cool uh, interface and like how you get stuff from a specific row from the database and I kind of bypassed this because I no no I want to use Prisma I just learned Prisma and so I feel like I didn't do justice 
to Superbase by trying to just use it as a like a database as a service and then I wanted Prisma to be the thing that talks to it and you lose a lot of the things that um, Superbase does for you and I have to while saying this I was looking at the docs and there's this auto-generated schema or like the things you can do to create or read like you you add fields and rows and then you go to the the docs part I, I'm speaking of my experience almost a year ago so it might have changed but I remember just oh that I can copy this thing to get the the last three posts or the first three things that I created just then and the other thing that um, that's maybe internal feedback maybe it's changed uh, I like to almost never touch my mouse when I work with an interface and at least back then I remember I, there's a lot of fields I couldn't uh, toggle like a drop down with a space bar and then the arrow keys and uh, like that's the two things that I was like oh I think eventually made me try something else but uh, uh, I'm sure like with the, the progression of the, the the whole company it's it's way better now and what everything you've described I really want to try because I feel it takes my front-end skills I have really good design and front-end and the back of the front-end as in like fetching data and stuff but like as soon as it goes to the proper back-end I'm like completely <laughs> useless and I feel like this would take care of all that part um, so I'm definitely gonna give it a try for sure you convinced awesome. me to try it out <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to say a shout out to Superbase for hiring you because you're good at what you do <laughs> and hopefully yeah. you, you're convincing a few other people listening to this podcast yeah hopefully um well yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because i had like basically the same experience using um super base initially i was actually working at prisma <laughs> so, oh <laughs> so you also tried to use it with prisma yeah <laughs> yeah that's right and so um but that's like you know one of the cool like i mentioned earlier the one of the cool things about super base is that we just give you access to the underlying database and so you can use any other tool like you can use um auth zero for authentication you could use uh prisma for your orm you can use any of these other tools and have direct access to the Superbase uh, database underneath. And you still get uh, all of those other cool things like edge functions and, um, you know, being able to subscribe to real time. None of that is broken by using any of those other tools. Um, you just don't get that kind of tight integration of being able to, to tie in that auth piece without writing some custom stuff yourself. You can still definitely do that. Um, another thing that you mentioned there, which I didn't mention throughout uh, what I was going through, which I totally should have, is the auto-generated docs. And so, yeah, um, yeah what Simon was saying is when you create a table or you create um, like a relationship between tables or whatever, um, anytime you change anything in the database layer, uh, there is auto-generated documentation that goes along with that. So if you create a new table called to-dos um, and that has three fields like title and content and is complete or something like that, um, when you go over to your auto-generated docs, it will have copy and pasteable snippets um, that show how to select all of the rows from your to-dos or here is how you uh, insert a new value into there. Um, or here is how you subscribe to real-time changes on that particular table. And so all of this documentation is auto-generated with these like copy and pasteable snippets yep. uh, just based on what you're doing at the database schema level. Yeah. So if you haven't used Superbase, but you've used GraphQL, what, what John's describing is like when you start, you start a GraphQL playground, you have that interface that documents everything you can do and you can see the different uh, sort of uh, posts, uh, user, whatever types you've got. And it tells you how to create one, how to delete one. Uh, it's but you don't have really like this copy and pasteable snippets. You more like have like a schema definition and what everything can do and auto 
complete as you type. And what I found really cool with Superbase when I looked at it, even if I kind of brushed it off because I wanted Prisma to take that part, is it's it's like almost, I think there's also text documentation that say, here's how you get the last three posts or docs if you created docs. Like it, it tells the name of the field in English and then you can copy that and put it in your app and it's going to work. So it really feels like a, someone just behind the, <laughs> behind the computer, you, you created the field and so like, quick, let's write some docs for this person so they have a delightful experience. Uh, I know it's auto-generated, but the, the feeling of like, wow, I, I just created these entities and fields and I have this documentation stuff that would have taken me the afternoon to write manually. So the, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. And just like, yeah, being brand new to Superbase, like if you're, um, you know, you're just starting to learn the dashboard and like creating tables and all of that stuff, uh, you would then need to go and learn this whole other piece to to install Superbase JS and NPM or whatever in your project and then select all of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I found it really, really helpful when I was first um, yeah. learning about Superbase totally. uh, to be able to understand like n- not only how to do stuff, but what I could do. Like there were, um, I, I think that's actually, you know, how I discovered um, a lot of the, the the stuff that Superbase JS offers um, rather than just selecting tables or updating a value. For sure. I think the, the my problem or like the, the wrong angle is when I approached Superbase, I was in the mindset of I need some sort of hosted database. Like I was looking at Mongo Atlas and then friends say, oh, use Postgres if you can, because it's super good with like relational stuff and, and security. And, uh, and I, I think I just literally Googled a, a hosted or cloud hosted Postgres database. And that's how I kind of entered the, the Superbase approach. But like uh, instead of thinking of this is this whole backend as a service that you can host files and authenticate and all that, I was just like, oh, I kind of want to do all this and just store like if I create a post I want to store it on the database and then not have to self-host that database because I might just wipe it accidentally um, and yeah so I, I misunderstood the, the whole ecosystem and what it does and now I'm really keen to give it another try like knowing all the integration stuff between file hosting authentication broadcast all sounds pretty exciting awesome sounds like I've converted you I'm, Sold. I'm happy about that and also if you do want to use GraphQL like Simon just mentioned another thing that I didn't get a chance to talk about is that um, yeah, we also offer a GraphQL API, um, which again is like um, resolvers and types and everything are generated for you as you build out your schema. Um, and so, yeah, also check that out if you like GraphQL or you're interested uh, in using that with your Superbase instance. But I think that brings us to the end of the main course of this episode uh, talking about Superbase. So, Simon, what else have you been working on this week? Can you guess? <gasps> is it Pro Tailwind? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh! Um, last Friday, I've delivered the third out of four workshops. It went really, really good. Uh, the highlights, without going into too much details, is I've used uh, Gitpod for everything. So I had one GitHub repo uh, using Astro. That's another story for another day. Uh, and every branch was a different like state of starting point for a challenge. And then, so if you if you use a GitHub repo with, uh, with the people in the workshop, they have to clone it and set it up. And then you have to say, okay, let's check out to the branch called 01-start or something. Um, with Gitpod, you can share any GitHub repository and then any branch and any file. And you just add gitpod.io slash or something like this before the URL of the, the, the repo. And then it 
it spins a, like a it's called an ephemeral instance or workspace of that thing. And so you can create a button that opens the, the repo in Gitpod and then every learner in the workshop clicks that button. They have their own uh, thing happening and it's literally VS Code or you can use other IDs, but I set it up with VS Code. It's 100% VS Code in the browser to the point where you get confused, am I in VS Code? If you go full screen, you can do things like uh, command control and arrow left and right to switch tabs and you, you're literally in VS Code. Like every part of the functionality is there. And so when you teach Tailwind, you really want the IntelliSense uh, extension that kind of gives you autocomplete and hover to see what CSS gets generated. And so they have this little gitpod.yaml config file. And in there, you can say extensions and you say, I want prettier, I want uh, Tailwind in sense, I want post CSS, language, uh, syntax, highlighting, whatever you need. And then when someone spins up any branch of any challenge, it's going to come with these extensions installed. And then to make it even better, you can have these pre-builds that kind of build the app already so they don't like clone and do everything, all the setup. It's kind of like a pre-built version, so it's super fast. And everyone at the end of the workshop was like, this is amazing. I didn't have to install anything. I just like click on that button and then I start coding into the, the challenge inside the branch and I would link to the file that is the where the code should be written. So yeah, the whole experience was amazing. That sounds awesome. And I've just added, I've just added in an episode on what is Gitpod uh, that Simon is going to tell us even more because that sounds awesome. Well, me or if uh, I have no idea where that person lives, but I've been talking to someone called Jacob Paris and uh, uh, working as a DevRel slash uh, developer experience person at uh, at uh, Gitpod. And he's been super helpful with giving me tips. Uh, for, for example, when you use Gitpod, the free account, you have up to four uh, consequence workspaces that you can open. But then if the workshop learners create their own uh, click on the button, it's on their account. So it doesn't count as you. So, but like, because I had 12 challenges in the workshop, uh, when I was rehearsing at some point, I got to the, the model that says, oh, you've reached the max uh, workspace concurrently, or you need to upgrade. And then he said, oh, you, you can delete them. You go in your dashboard. But then he said me that thing that I showed the, the, the learners uh, that was really cool is within the VS Code powered by Gitpods, you can open the comment palette like you do normally with like comment shift P. And then you type stop and there's like one called stop workspace and it just literally kills that current workspace for you. So at the end of each workshop, I was telling people just go stop the workspace and then you don't have to go in the dashboard to close it. Like he's been super helpful giving me workflow experience tips and it's such a good tool if you ever want to teach something or even even like work with a team that someone doesn't want to install anything. Just say click on this. This is my PR review branch. Click on it. Do the review. Do the changes and then push the like it's literally sets up everything about having VS Code on the computer and, and working like productively. It's really cool. Shout out. That is awesome. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure from memory, Jacob is a bit of a um, like a nomad. I'm pretty sure he, he travels around. So maybe we should uh, maybe we should get him to come to Australia for a little bit. Maybe for our Perisher snowboarding Ooh. workshop conference that we we're totally going to run next year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, awesome. That sounds sounds super fantastic. Yeah. So I've, I've done this this workshop. I've got one more to go, but I think instead I'm going to pivot for a bit and do recording of the videos of the three first workshops and then release that and then take the time to work on the fourth because the fourth one is like the clutch. It's really the enterprise tailwind and things like how does it work here in a component library you package up in NPM or share within the monorepo and a lot of like questions that big teams have and I really want to nail that one and do some research and speak to people that work in big companies with big ambitious projects rather than trying to guess what are the, the problem space. So we got some uh, learner interviews lined up with people that kind of match 
that like team lead on a large company enterprise level stuff. And I'm going to take the time to really mold this really nicely. And in the meantime, produce the courses I've already taught on workshops. So yeah, it's 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 going all steam ahead. I'm very happy. Uh, it, it took a little bit longer than I thought, but it's for the better because the quality is just that much higher. Uh, and that's me. Uh, what are you working on? I know you get excited for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel I'm very excited. I hope that's that's based on my feedback of me wanting to wanting the course to be out there. Yeah, I just parked everything so John can have the the self-paced course and not get up at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel like one of the like awesome things that you get out of taking one of your workshops though is like all of these awesome other tools. Like I, I feel like every workshop that you've run, you've like uh, unveiled to me some amazing like way of doing things, some awesome uh, way of just like getting all of the stuff out of the way so that you can just focus on an example. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I hope some of that stuff makes it, or oh, I'm sure some of that, I'm sure a lot of that stuff will make it into the course. So very excited for that. Um, quick shout out for my Egghead courses. If you head over to Egghead and search for uh, instructors and John Myers, you will find uh, three courses there. One is uh, the first course that I did for Egghead, which is building um, a Notion API, uh, building a blog out of the Notion API. Um, which came out right after the the Notion API went live. Uh, the next one is building a SaaS app using uh, Next.js, Superbase, and Stripe. So um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we talked about um, in this episode that is in that course. Uh, and then the most recent one is all about the Edge, which we touched on a little bit in this this episode, and a lot more in the episode, the Navbar episode about the Edge. Um, but in this one, you learn all about how to cache Superbase data at the Edge using Cloudflare Workers and KV Storage. So so, um, yeah, two awesome uh, courses that you can that are entirely free that you can learn all about Superbase and how to build uh, some pretty cool stuff. Uh, the other thing that I shout out that you should check out is the Navbar live streams. And so hey. uh, on my personal channel uh, on youtube.com slash C slash John Myers, um, I did three live streams uh, building out um, or, or starting to build out the Navbar website. Uh, everything got way too busy to to continue working on it but the plan is to continue that series um and i probably have another two or three um live streams that i can do and then we're going to publish the navbar website um so you can also ask us questions we're gonna have um <laughs> the crowd goes wild for the navbar website um, but we will have an input box there where you can uh, tell us something that you would like us to cover um, so we can, yeah, do some episodes on stuff that you would like us to do as well. Um, so I highly recommend you go check out that series. And once I wrap my series, Simon is going to go through a collection of styling ones with Tailwind and show you how to take a really, really ugly website that someone built intentionally poorly design-wise uh, and threw it over the fence and then... Uh, uh, yeah, you can see how you how you go about approaching a problem like that and styling it out. We're gonna teach you a good uh, good old waterfall design back end dev handover to the front end. Now it's your problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. Make it pretty. <laughs> That real, real world enterprise experience of throwing things over the fence. Yes. See, you can see that fence here in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I chuck it that way. Oh, did I get it right? No, I chuck it that way. Over I the fence. It. Simon yes. catches. <laughs> but right. uh, yeah, I like that. It's intentionally um, 
you intentionally didn't spend any seconds of attention except maybe setting up Tailwind in the first stream, but it's like, it can look like this because then Simon's going to do some styling and it, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I'm excited uh, whenever that is ready to take on and over. I feel like I might actually do an episode on unstyling it, a, a live stream on how do you make this look as ugly as possible and make it as raw as possible. And then I'll, I'll show everyone how you go and follow Simon on Twitter and then DM him your ugly project that is built on tailwind in production so that he will feel inspired to come and build your <laughs> build out your design for you that's how that, it works that, that's a pretty smart idea actually that would work <laughs> <laughs> once again thank you so much for tuning in my name is john myers you can find me at john myers underscore io on twitter and i'm simon Vrashley otis you can find me at simon swiss uh, on twitter mostly and on a few other places Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot about Superbase. I certainly did. Now I'm going to go and check it out and we will see you next week or hear you next week. See you later. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>